On the podcast today, we are going to dissect chapter 34 of the Tao Te Ching, which makes up the 34th episode of the 81 meditations on the Tao Te Ching. And as usual, Guy Young will read Jafu Feng and Jane English's translation, and I will read Derek Lin's translation. The great Tao flows everywhere, both to the left and to the right. The 10,000 things depend on it. It holds nothing back. It fulfills its purpose silently and makes no claim. It nourishes the 10,000 things, but does not rule them. It has no aim. It is very small. The 10,000 things return to it, yet it does not rule them. It is very great. It does not show greatness and is therefore truly great. The great Tao is like a flood. It can flow to the left or to the right. The myriad things depend on it for life, but it never stops. It achieves its work, but does not take credit. It clothes and feeds myriad things, but does not rule over them. Ever desiring nothing, it can be named insignificant. Myriad things return to it, but it does not rule over them. It can be named great. Even in the end, it does not regard itself as great. That is how it can achieve its greatness. So this chapter, again, is about the nature of the Tao and how we ought to emulate how the Tao actually is. And this chapter goes into... A lot of detail about how the Tao does not rule it over the world as opposed to other religious traditions where they have sort of a political analogy of God ruling over the world and judging us accordingly where the Taoist view is an organic view of the world where we are all part of it but the Tao loves and nourishes all but does not lord it over them. It has given us everything Equally, Yes, again, this analogy is perfectly matching the Taoist leadership quality as well, how Taoist leadership is always to follow leading from behind and not from the front, right? For instance, um, Confucianism, as we know, is a socio-political system where everyone knows who the leader is and everyone ought to follow the leader, mm. right? Whereas Taoism is uh, completely the opposite, how... Uh, leader should lead from behind. So that is the prime uh, Tao, Taoism uh, principle. Mm. That's right. That's right. And so greatness there is not from leading from in front from the Taoist view. Again, Lao Tzu is constantly emphasizing on seeking the low places within the Tao Te Ching. So a master or a, a leader, for example, when they seek the low places, they gain the type of power they always wanted but never knew existed. And that's what the Tao Te Ching is always alluding to. But we live in a world where we are under the impression that a good leader ought to lead from the front, ought to be aggressive, ought to lead by force, where the Tao Te Ching throws everything on its head and is actually diametrically opposed to that way of thinking, as you said, with Confucian politics and way of life, where... It's in seeking the low places that we gain that sort of power where we become humble, where we become compassionate, forgiving, and they are the qualities that a true leader embodies. Yes, because nowadays everyone wants to be in front of a lot of people, right? They want to be a center of attention, and that comes across to be powerful and has a lot of um, pop popularity and fame and whatnot. And, Unfortunately, most people think that is a good quality become 
being a leader or whatnot, but mm. actually we know it's not. In the most authentic way of leading people is to stay behind and also follow the way the nature, right? So that's why here in this chapter says, um, Tao nourishes it all, has no claim, it is very small, mm. but also it is very great. Mm. I think here it says it's, it is very small because the, the very small essence, the element of how the organic nature works is invisible, mm. right? And often we take it for granted because we forget to appreciate that the greatest power. That is why it can be very small, mm. but also it can be very great at the same time. Why? Because that's how all this manifests universe came about, right? Again, that uh, we mentioned it earlier chapter as well in the, what the Chandogya Upanishads also mentioned that uh, between father and son um, conversation, that how son was inquiring the truth of existence, mm. of reality, right? And the father asked the son to open up the uh, mustard fruit, mm. right? And what's there and what's there and what's there. And in the end, what son has left uh, was to have that little seeds, right? Mustard seeds. And even father asked the son to even crack open the seed, that tiny seed, and he opened the seed. And what is there? There is nothing, mm. right? Mm. So that's exactly what the uh, father wanted to deliver, the yes. message. Yes, and from that nothingness, everything comes. And so that's the essence of the Eastern spiritual traditions is, if we look at Taoism, right, we have Uchi, which is Tao and stillness, which is that emptiness within the seed, the cosmic egg, so to speak. And so that emptiness, or the Tao in stillness, as they would say, is gives birth to Tai Chi, which is Tao in motion, which gives birth to yin and yang, the polarities of the world, which gives birth to the 10,000 things, exactly. which we are a part of, yes, yes. which all eventually return to the seed. Yes, yes, yes. Our life, even the universe returns to that seed. And that is identical again with Sanatana Dharma, where we have Nuguna Brahman. Yes. So Nuguna Brahman is the this, this seed, the essence of nothingness of the universe, it's Brahman, the ultimate reality without qualities, as opposed to Saguna Brahman, which could be related to Tai Chi in motion, which is the manifest world. And so everyone on the spiritual path needs to reverse their gaze, their awareness back into Uchi, back into Naguna Brahman. And that's what that sort of Tai Chi movement is. Not Tai Chi Chuan here, I'm talking about in practice, but the, the Tai Chi sort of awareness is about reversing your gaze back in on yourself. Mm. And you're reversing that Tai Chi movement. So you reverse, it's like you're going through your own destruction of your own universe yes. back into your own seed element. Mm. And that's what we're supposed to be doing on the spiritual path, all of us. But we get lost in the 10,000 things. It's like that analogy where the spiritual seeker was walking up the mountain to go to the top. We are here in Tiruvannamalai in the grace of the holy mountain of Arunachala here and the spiritual seeker is walking up the mountain and then they set up a chai shop <laughs> and then after years they forgot why they set up the shop in the first place. They forgot what the original, their original intent was 
to go up the mountain. And that's how most of us live our life. We forgot that the purpose of living life, if we can use the word purpose, is to return our gaze back within and come back into that essence of nothingness. And as a lot of philosophers say that Taoism especially is a meontological system. Mm. So it's a, a science of nothingness. And it's a system to understand the, the crux of that pure awareness that we all are. Sanatana Dharma is the same. Buddhism is the same. They have different philosophical systems to explain yes. that pure consciousness. Yeah, again, it's empty. The study of emptiness that itself is very mysterious and also inconceivable. It only can be felt and touched by your own ex inner experience. So that uh, people often uh, misinterpret it and whatnot. So that's why it's something that's uh, somewhat hard to grasp. But that that is why we have this um, great uh, ancient traditional knowledge for us to read and learn to have a, a taste of it mm. of what it is. And again, um, going back to the Tai Chi and Uchi, like we often forget the manifested world. Most, most times because that's what we can see, what we can feel and what we can name objects and whatnot. It seems uh, much easier to, you know, interpret and understand what it is. Mm. In, in, in Chinese character, Tai Chi, Qi we know the energy, the prana. And Tai actually means the movement, the movement of energy. So that from the movement of energy, 10,000 things uh, uh, come to existence, right? Mm. Uh, u chi, u here means nothingness. Chi, again, energy. So energy of nothingness, that empty void, right? Mm -hmm. So the movement of energy, Tai Chi, was born from the u chi. Mm. So again, as you mentioned, that our job is to go back to that state of u chi instead of staying in the Tai Chi, right? Mm. That we get lost in the Tai Chi. <laughs> that's right, that's right. right. So yeah. again, that can be a problem. <clears throat> well said. The mind is entangled in the, the movement of the world, mm. the Tai Chi. And part of the Tai Chi, or part of the Saguna Brahman, is vrittis, yes. is the whirlpool of mind. So we live in this manifest world of 10,000 things, and then our mind becomes entangled with it, which creates more vrittis. And so then we are entangled within our own mind and then it's a double bind because we're entangled with our own mind which then is entangled with the man manifest world around us yes, yes. and so for a lot of people it's hard to disentangle from that so that they can see the world as it truly is yes. so it's this kind of double bind that we find ourselves but we have to free ourselves from this from these vrittis from the manifest world around us we have to have as they mentioned in Sanskrit, nirvana or moksha is basically liberation or release from everything that binds us. Yes. But yes. we're double bound, see? We're, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're bound to the external world. We're bound to also our internal mind. Mm. Mm. Or I should say the contents we have within our mind. Mm. You know? It's interesting because, again, in the very first first of uh, classical yoga of Patanjali is citta vritti nirodaha. Mm. So vritti is right there, in the, right in the middle, right? Citta yeah. meaning the mind. Mm. Vritti is the, the whirlpool, the, the movement 
of mind, chitta. Mm. Nirodaha means to make it silent. Right? Still. Still, yeah, make, uh, yeah stillness. Mm. So first of all, uh, the first job that you need to do to uh, study yoga is to calm your, your whirlpool of mind, right? Mm. So that's how important it is to even recognize you, the vritti of your own mind, mm. the movement of your mind, mm. and to bring that to complete stillness, complete silence, is the first job that we all need to do. And that's the inner path of all the spiritual traditions, mm. is to still that mind. Because once you still that mind, you can see deeper into the layers of your being. Mm. When you are, when your mind is entangled with the reality, you can't see up, you can't see up nor down or this or that. You are completely entangled with the nature of re with reality around you, or the real the reality as the way that you think it is. Mm. But you need to disentangle your mind from that, and that's what Lao Tzu is also emphasizing as well. It's it's about stilling the mind, and once the mind is completely still, then you can understand, as Zhuangzi said, the infinite in all things. And mentioning yoga, that's why we have the inner limbs of yoga. We have pratyahara. Dharana, Jhana, and Samadhi. Mm. So you go through this gradual process to have release mm. from everything that you're bound up with. Yes. And so, but a lot of people don't understand the inner workings of their mind, so they, they remain entangled with that, and then they wonder why they suffer, they wonder why they are in conflict with other people, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And yeah, in the last uh, part of this chapter, it does not show greatness and is therefore truly great. That somewhat uh, tells me that there's a dissolution of your ego, the, your mind, so that uh, you forget uh, you forget your personality mm. or the in individual um, identity, right? Mm -hmm. So that you allow um, doubt to flow through you mm. so that its greatness just shines on over itself. Yeah. Right. Mm. yeah. The, because when you understand that from a human perspective, that essence is humility. So when you're completely, truly humble mm. and you live your life just in accord with the Tao, there's nothing to claim, you see. And this is why it's really interesting within spirituality and particularly western spirituality where you have teachers in air quotes claiming that they are enlightened building things around them as if they are somebody and it's self-claimed yes. it's not how for example when Tiruvannamalai it's not how Ramana Ashram was built around Bhagwan Sri Ramana Maharshi mm -hmm. it wasn't like that because that was built around him because some people noticed that he was a great being. Mm. Now we have self-claimed gurus <laughs> <laughs> who build their own ashrams invite, and then to invite the people. Yes. And so that is not true greatness because true greatness is how Ramana was. Shanti, mm. peaceful, humble, yes. always last to eat mm. within the Sangha. Yes. And then what do we have? We have the great ashram that was built around him. Exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite, sometimes I find it comical because nowadays people build their own ashram with their own um, finance mm. backup, mm. right? Like, so, 
But the, the real idea of ashram is just exactly what you said about the Sri Ramana Maharishi. They built the ashram when he was alive only because for people to come and sit with him mm. and listen to his teachings or sit in silence with him. And they built, a, they needed a, a bit of a roof and a few chairs around or whatnot. So that's how it started. Mm. It wasn't to, you know, like uh, celebrate something extraordinary. It was no. nothing like that. And But nowadays that idea of um, master and ashram and whatnot became a little bit too much of a commodity, unfortunately. So people misuse uh, the terms and also the facility itself, that's, which is very unfortunate but again in this chapter saying it fulfills its purpose silently and makes no claim mm -hmm. so completely yeah, completely opposite <laughs> yes. completely opposite and people can sense divinity right like mm. you can be around someone and you can sense their presence yes but they make no claim mm. they are just there present with you they may be able to articulate things that you are incapable of articulating they may have a deep presence mm. and you feel that around them. But they're not, they don't sit around and make any claim. Some of the greatest teachers you and I have met, no people know them. Mm. You know, they live a really modest life, quiet life, but make no claim. Yes. They really are the embodiment of mm. what Lao Tzu is teaching. And that's something for all of us to think about. This is why in the old days when people used to write books, they used to use pseudonyms. Yes. Because they didn't want the adulation from people. Nowadays, everyone uses their name for everything. Mm -hmm. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a sense of innocence to that. There's a sense of like, look, this is just who I am. But the point is, is that that's how it kind of operated in the past where people didn't want adulation. They didn't want to people to touch their feet, say, for yes, example. Yes, yes. Uh, there was a lot of that sort of modest approach mm. to spirituality, which, as you said, because it's been turned into a commodity, we have what it is today, right? In some places, right? Still in India here, still some places in China, in the mountains, it's very authentic. Yes, yes. But there are other places where it's not authentic, and we don't need to name them. Most people probably know that. But... One of the great things of this chapter, backing in on that, is that because the master makes no, no, makes no claim and because the Tao makes no claim, the Tao just is imbued within everything, you have this self-so nature, right? Like, so Zitran, where you have the organic world of itself. So it just functions of itself. It doesn't need to be moved along. It's just, it is as it is. And that's how the Tao is. The Tao is ever-present. It's here. Every, with everyone listening and watching us right now, it's here. We can all feel it when we allow our mind to calm and to recognize. But you don't need to overthink that. It's, you can just feel it. It's here. And it's within the trees, the plants, the air that we breathe, the language we are using. There is a natural order to the world. Yes. And we are a living embodiment of that. Mm. And the, the point of this chapter is that that nourishes everything, the 10,000 things, does not rule it over them, but it has no aim or no goal. Mm -hmm. And that's something for a lot of us to think about. Mm -hmm. That means that we have to become a living embodiment of what Zhuangzi said. We need to live an aimless life. 
Because having aim means you already have a future projection. You have a logical conclusion of how you think life should be. But the Tao is constantly interfering with our own plans. Yes. And so then we have the divine plan takes place yes, yes. whether we like it or not. Yes, yes. And so we can all plan our day, right? If we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And none of it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, the, when the idea of controlling things come to place, that's when you're going to meet the conflict. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because, again, the divine plan will take over you and going to try to, you know, impede your version of your own control, right? Exactly. Yeah, while, again, nature, the divine always has a, I wouldn't say better plan, the plan that is supposed to work out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this chapter, it says it has no aim. It is very small. Now that's going back to what we were talking about with the seed element, with the, the essence of nothingness that brings forth the whole universe. So it's when you bring your mind back into that pure awareness, the Uchid and the Guna Brahman, that everything's shanti. It's just life is manifesting as it should be. And you don't have to control it or interfere with it. As you said, you, you sincerely follow the path of Uwei, where you follow the path of non-interference, and you allow life to be as it is. And then you also give yourself the room to allow to live your life that way. Instead of calculating what you're going to do here and what you're going to do there, this, next year I'm going to do this, I've got a bunch of New Year's resolutions, and this, <laughs> <laughs> this whole concept of New Year's resolutions is, is ridiculous. If you want to make a resolution, make a present resolution, That's not right. a New Year's resolution. Exactly. I want to stop smoking cigarettes. Yes. Do it now. Yes. If you're putting it off to later, the chances that you're going to fulfill that resolution is very small. Yes. Again, it brings such relief, mm. right? It, mm. it brings such um, freedom within your mind mm. when, when you truly allow the divine plan to take its own course, right? Because mm. you truly, you don't really... You may just need to make a little um, decision, either this or that or whatnot, but that's when it's really necessary. Mm. And once that's done, everything else will be taken care of. Mm. All you need to do is just to follow with it and just allow things to come to you. Mm. Then actually, all the planned and controlling things, all this effort has to, uh, it'll just uh, go away. Mm. Then you have so much more time and energy for yourself mm. to do something more important yeah. for yourself. And this chapter saying that thing more important for yourself is when you let go of that control, then you become great. It's a paradox and it defies logic. Mm -hmm. And that's what Lao Tzu and Zhuang are constantly trying to teach us. The nature of the universe is completely irrational. It's not rational. It defines logic. There's no essential aim to what this universe is yes. because as soon as you have an aim or a goal it means that you already have an agenda for what you think life is but as Hubert Benoit said in Zen the Supreme Doctrine the understanding of Nirvana is to understand that everything is perfect as it is perfect no matter what is going on in the world and if you don't understand that deeply then you'll never understand the deeper elements of Taoism, Zen, Vedanta. Yeah, you will be constantly in, in battle yeah. with your own self. Yeah, constantly in battle with yeah. your own self. And you'll be worrying about things 
that are out of your hands. Yes. You'll be trying to change the world according to how you think it should be mm. because you see things that are unjust. There's injustice in the world. And there is injustice in the world. But when we're constantly trying to fix things according to how we think it is, we are only throwing more fuel on the fire. And that was the original intent in the first place mm. that created the injustice. Mm. And that's what Lao Tzu's point is. You end up becoming something you are against. Yes, exactly. So when you think you're part of the solution, you're actually part of the problem. Exactly. And that's the nature of, of this chapter. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need to rule over anything. All you've got to do is come back into your true, pure nature. And then the Tao, Brahman, can make use of you. And you'll gain that power that you always wanted, but you never knew existed. So guys, we hope you enjoyed and we'll see you guys next time.